You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello and welcome back. My name is Tyler Austin and I'm a bookseller at Skylight Books here in Los Angeles, California. Uh, and welcome to the Skylight Book Podcast. Uh, today we are joined with by Clarence Lusane and Janelle Hobson. Uh, Clarence, uh, Dr. Clarence Lusane is an author, activist, scholar, and journalist. He's a professor and former chairman of Howard University's Department of Political Science. Lusane earned his BA in communications from Wayne State University and both his master's and PhD from Howard University in political science. He's been a political consultant to the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation and a former commissioner for the DC Commission on African-American Affairs. He frequently appears on MSNBC and C-SPAN and was invited to, by the Obamas to speak at the White House. Author of many books, including The Black History of the White House, Hussein lives and works in the Washington, D.C. area. Janelle Hobson is a professor in the Department of Women's, Gender, and Sexuality Studies at the University of Albany. She is also director of both undergraduate studies and the Honors Program. She joined the core faculty shortly after receiving her Ph.D. in Women's Studies at Emory University. Hobson has since devoted her research, teaching, and service to multiracial and transnational feminist issues in the discipline with a focus on representations and the histories of women in African diaspora. Hobson is the author of When God Lost Her Tongue, Historical Consciousness and the Black Feminist Imagination, Venus in the, in the Dark, Blackness and Beauty in Popular Culture, and Body is Evidence, uh, um, Mediating Race, Globalizing Gender. She has also edited the volumes of Are All Women Still White? Rethinking Race, Expanding Feminisms, and The Routledge Companion to Black Women's Cultural Histories. She is a contributing writer to Miss Magazine, as well as various online platforms. She also guest edited special volumes on Harriet Tubman and Slavery and Popular Culture. She was selected as a community fellow for 2021 and 22 at the University of Albany's Institute for History and Public Engagement, which supports her guest editing of the Harriet Tubman Bicentennial Project with Miss Magazine for the spring 2022 uh, semester. Thank you both so much for joining us. You're by Thank far you. the two most distinguished people I've ever gotten to introduce on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just wanted to quickly prompt uh, both of you to do a, a, a little bit of a reading, if you'd like to to share with the audience and kind of set the, the, the palette for what your conversation will be about. And then I'll, I'll let you two take it away. The title of my book uh, that's coming out right now is $20 in Change, uh, Harriet Tubman, and the ongoing struggle for racial justice and democracy. And what I try to do in this work is to uh, recast to some, some degree Harriet Tubman, uh, not as just someone who uh, heroically rescued people individually uh, just through her own braving and daring uh, during the uh, slave era, but that the long arc of her life was really about her fight for democracy uh, in a really broader context, uh, not only for racial justice, uh, but for women's rights, for suffering, for uh, the poor, for people who were uh, ill and infirm. Uh, and so she lived to be 90 uh, and uh, her whole life should be uh, looked at. Uh, but more generally, I think uh, her contributions are telling for some of the issues we're dealing with today. So let me read a, a short passage uh, that kind of links uh, the then and now. Harriet Tubman never saw a full day of democracy. She 
spent her whole life under various forms of racial authoritarianism among millions of her fellow African-Americans and other people of color. From birth in 1822 until 1849 when she escaped, she was enslaved in Maryland with little hope of being free except by her own agency. From 1849 until the end of the Civil War and the official end of slavery, she was a hunted fugitive. From 1865 to late 1870s, Reconstruction softened but did not end Black marginalization and, restri and uh, restrictions. And from 1877, when Reconstruction was overturned until her death in 1913, Jim Crow segregation constrained what she could do as a woman, an African-American, and a member of the working class. I want to give that kind of perspective just to show that although she fought and fought, uh, she never saw a moment of uh, full democracy. Uh, the right for women to vote uh, did not come until the 19th Amendment, 1920, uh, seven years after she died, and full voting for uh, African-Americans and others didn't come till uh, the mid-1960s, and particularly with the uh, Voting Rights Act of 1965. All right, thank you uh, for that. Um, uh, I will um, also offer a reading. Uh, this is an introduction to the Harriet Tubman Bicentennial Project that I guess edited with Ms. Magazine. I received support both from Ms. as well as my own university in working on this project. I have been doing some research on Harriet Tubman for some time. My very first um, approach to Harriet Tubman uh, came in 2013 when I honored a different anniversary. Back then, it was the centennial anniversary of the date of her, her passing, which was on March 10th, 1913. Uh, so this year, 2022, is the bicentennial of her birth. And it was just really an exciting time to think about uh, what she means for this country. Uh, as Clarence mentioned, what she means for democracy, what she means for the world. So the section that I'm going to read from my introduction is actually the concluding part, because I think it's, it's quite appropriate to our conversation today. So this section is titled, Her Freedom is Our Freedom. Born in either late February or early March in 1822, Harriet Tubman is the bridge between Black History and Women's History Months. She stood at the intersection of race and gender and ushered in freedom for all because her own freedom required it. As the Kambahi River Collective, named for Tubman's leadership, assert in their Black feminist statement from 1977, and I quote, if Black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free, since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression, unquote. Tubman understood this, which is why a week before her death, she delivered a message through Black suffragist Mary B. Talbert during the National Women's Suffrage March on March 3rd, 1913, quote, Tell the women to stand together, for God will not forsake us, unquote. Unfortunately, many white suffragists chose racism and exclusion over unity. The radical Black feminists like Ida B. Wells Barnett, for example, defied such divisiveness by asserting their rightful place in the fight for voting rights, gender equality, and racial justice, 
These same Black women fought to keep alive Tubman's memory, from purchasing her headstone to resurrecting her name for civil rights and feminist movements, just as they fought to ensure this nation made democratic ideals a reality for all. In this milestone year of the 50th anniversary of Ms. Magazine, we salute a groundbreaking feminist and liberator who never lost sight of freedom. Not too invested in Mrs., as Andrea and Williams notes in an anecdote of Tubman's humorous dismissal of the title, Ms. Tubman will be remembered not merely by the name of her first husband, whom she left behind when she self-emancipated from slavery, but by the heroism she made synonymous with that name. She has stood the test of time through her incomparable example of bravery, fierceness, persistence, faith, self-assurance, compassion, and commitment to solidarity. May her memory serve as a guiding light, much like the North Star she followed, steering us all in the right direction at this critical juncture. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, your question was great beautiful. too. <laughs> So I love it. So um, I have so many questions for you. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so the animate animating uh, incident for for my work uh, was the decision by the uh, um, Biden administration to uh, replace uh, Andrew Jackson on the front of the twenty dollar bill uh, with Harriet Tubman. Uh, the Bills, the $5, $10, and $20 bills are being uh, re-imaged because of uh, security reasons. And there was a, a decision to take advantage of that to uh, change the images. And yeah. after the process, there was a decision to uh, have Harry Tubman on the front. Uh, they still want to have Andrew Jackson on the back. That's a whole other issue to deal yeah. with. Uh, but it's... Uh, not universally um, accepted. Yeah, uh, there are you know there are clearly millions of people, uh, mm -hmm. particularly African American, particularly African American women, uh, who like the idea, but there are others who don't. So, uh, what's your kind of read, and how do you sort of um, think about uh, that? Uh, as honor or exploitation or something in between or both or neither? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's such a great, and I'm so glad your book is coming out uh, on this issue because I think it opens up um, a lot of really interesting issues that we can, we can discuss about Harriet Tubman and her legacy. Uh, so from my own perspective, I was, I was elated when Harriet Tubman uh, was was chosen well there, for for two reasons one i i was aware you know that uh the women on the 20 was a grassroots campaign uh so it was a uh, regular women um specifically barbara howard comes to mind as one of the co-founders of the women on the um 20 movement who decided that you know if we're going to honor because they started out with just wanting to honor the centennial of the 19th amendment which was back in 2020 and they thought it would be great to honor that centennial with um something substantive like having women on our currency because we don't we don't really have other than those special commemorative coins we don't really 
have women uh, on our currency. So they just thought something tangible rather than just a statue or a monument might might go a long way to to being able to preserve women's history in, in the national consciousness. So I understand where that comes from. But I thought what was really ingenious of that particular campaign is the way that they opened it up as a democratic a democratic process. They actually invited the public to vote on what historical woman should we place if we were to replace the $20. And the $20 seemed like an appropriate currency. It's the most used uh, paper currency. And also um, there's that dicey history with Andrew Jackson that not everyone is, you know, <laughs> finds heroic. Right given his history of the Indian Removal Act and, and slavery and that sort of thing. So uh, so I, I like where it came from. And when they did open it up for a Democratic vote, Harry Tubman won. <laughs> so that's what I was pleasantly surprised that she was the one who received the most votes. She received more votes than Eleanor Roosevelt, more votes than Rosa Parks, more votes than mm -hmm. Susan B. Anthony. So that means something in terms of her popularity. And then when the Obama administration turned around and, and basically validated that popular vote by deciding to make it official, I thought that was great. So I think the conversations that came up, usually on social media, that's where right. a lot of these debates right. happen. Uh, right. I don't think the people who opposed, um, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about like conservative right wings who were going right. to be right. Right. having issues with a black woman on our money, but the actual progressive of uh, fellow black women. I know two in particular uh, right. who are very adamant that uh, she not be on, on the $20 bill. I also know that those, because I know them personally, <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but right. I also know that they were unaware of the grassroots campaign. They they had assumed, I think, right. that the selection mm -hmm. of Harriet Tubman came from top, not right. from not from you know the bottom up. Uh, they thought it was a top-down decision. And I think they thought that was misguided. I mean, it's also possible once they've learned that it really was a grassroots bottom-up movement that they probably still think that the movement was misguided because right. of the arguments that they made about you know exploitation and commercialism, which I find very problematic that they would immediately assume that having um, the likeness of Harriet Tubman on our currency immediately uh, devalues her somehow how um because we did not have that we just don't we we don't make that argument about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson right. and Benjamin right. Franklin uh not at all we realize they're on on the currency because they represent they represent the the country just like with um you know the UK is going through the changing of their currency now that they have a king right. and so queen uh right. that's not commercializing <laughs> that's just it's just you know, a rep it's like the symbolic, the symbolic weight of who they are. So being able to recognize Harriet Tubman for the symbolic meaning of who she is, is, is what I see is important. Now, yes, it's problematic that she comes from a, a legacy of slavery, uh, which is based on the, um, commercial exploitation of black people, enslaved black right. people. 
But I think it is precisely because Harriet Tubman had worked so long in her years trying to get paid, first of all, <laughs> you know, trying to get paid even when she was enslaved. She was negotiating wages with her enslaver. Uh, right. she's, she had an eye towards freedom, uh, which means that I think she'd be I think she'd be proud, <laughs> you know, that she'd be recognized in this way. Oh no! I thought that that's really really helpful uh, and insightful. I um I give a whole chapter to the opposing views or contrasting views because uh you know it's you know let everybody's voice ring, uh mm -hmm. and you know we do have to be sensitive to uh, exploitation and performative anti-racism and you know all of those those kind of deals. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right that. Uh, this is a movement from below, and it's a movement with a long history mm -hmm. that it didn't just start with the Obama administration, but, mm -hmm. you know, we can trace it back to the 60s at least, mm -hmm. uh, and even before then in terms of the issue around race. Uh, but for women, all the way back to the 1920s, Mm -hmm. uh, there were, you know, rumblings about, you know, why is only old white men on these, <laughs> on the yeah. currency? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it, it's it's a um, it's a it's a narrative, mm -hmm. right? And a narrative comes in many many different forms, mm -hmm. many of which we do not pay attention to. Yes. Uh, and so one of them we have is who's on the currency. Yes, and exactly. uh, Native Americans. There are some Native Americans that will not touch a twenty because of Andrew Jackson. And as you pointed out, his history of being a slave owner and a trader, but personally involved in massacres. Yes. Uh, it wasn't just orders; he was there, uh, you know, engaging. And mm -hmm. so, you know, he should have never been on anybody honored by anyway. But it's a statement from the country of whose history, whose story, whose narrative is important and who's not. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, see it in that light. And yeah. then just sort of the sweet irony, mm -hmm. uh, as you point out, that Harriet Tubman fought for decades, really, for a just pension that she deserved yes. uh, for her work during the Civil War. Pensions mm -hmm. were given to Confederate soldiers. Mm -hmm. who had rebelled to overthrow the country. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want to give Harry Tubman one. She finally did. And it turns out, you know, it was $20 a month. You know, yeah, so, exactly. The irony. <laughs> that's, you know, the arc of the universe and all that coming, yeah. coming together. Uh -huh. But, you know, what the other thing I was really just trying to do was, you know, what we can learn from Harry Tubman uh, relative to the issues that we face today. Mm -hmm. And that we... I have to consistently bring a historic and broad perspective when we're looking at whether it's healthcare, whether it's criminal justice, whether it's voting rights. None of this started like a year ago or mm -hmm. 2020, right? There's, there's a long, long history. And only understanding that history can, you know, you really fashion public policy uh, uh, and organize uh, to try to meet some of those needs. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why your book is so important, because it really gets us into thinking about what what those histories mean, what are the symbolisms that are important to us, and, and, and even how we have these different 
approaches and different interpretations, right? Um, I'm actually reminded of, because in my bicentennial project, I included a number of guest authors who wrote about different aspects of Harriet Tubman's life to really humanize her. And out right. of that hu humanizing, I was able to have some conversations with the descendants of Harriet Tubman. And quite a few of them are very much on board with wanting to see her on, on mm -hmm. the journey. Uh, some of them who are very elderly are hoping that they'll still be alive <laughs> when Right. It actually comes out. Right. Uh, one of them, Judith G. Bryan, was uh, her her reason for wanting to see Harriet Tubman on the twenty had a lot to do with. She really feels that that everyday usage of money just seeps into our our consciousness, our subconscious, right. so that she's always going to be there as part of the um, the fabric of of our society. And I think that that's that 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 is where I see the value more than any kind of um you know she 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 doesn't belong on the money because you know she you know she we're not to be <laughs> um fetishized or objectified or whatever it is that people are thinking in that comp in that argument can you can you imagine that all these people who are fighting against 1619 project and critical race theory, what they're going to do when they have that $20 bill coming out of the ATM machine. Oh my goodness. Make them feel all guilty. They will, they'll want to give that money. Maybe they'll give it to reparations. Yeah, maybe they're reparation that money. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt that. But, I know. But I yeah, know. But, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, that moment alone. Well, that's the thing. Once it's in your face, it's like, oh yeah, we owe this woman right. money, don't we? <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's it's we got to change these narratives. Yeah. And you know, and then once you know, you kind of can't go back. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I might get in trouble in the book because I talk about my high school, mm -hmm. and I went to uh, a really like famous high school in Detroit, Cass mm -hmm. uh, Tech, which for generations, you know. It's, they put out the best students and all of that. And, you know, we all came out and were progressive and activists and all that, uh, but did not know that the school was named, I knew the school was named after a former governor, but mm -hmm. did not know that that governor had been in Andrew Jackson's administration mm. and had been one of the key architects around the Indian Removal Act and all kind of other horrible things. Mm -hmm. So, as much as I love my high school and it's, you know, it's an icon, mm -hmm. uh, I joined the voices of folks who have stated that, you know, they need to change the name. Yes. Right. Because once you know, you know, yeah. you, can't, you know, you can't claim ignorance anymore once you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Which is interesting because um, I... I, I'm a little ambivalent about um, changing names and removing statues. I'm more about adding okay. statues and adding names. That's just me. I, okay. And that's, that's mostly because I... I, I think that um, we are very, as a, as, a, as a nation, as a country, we're very ahistorical. And um, when we work towards removing you know certain historical narratives it's it's very easy to forget you know right. all the parts right. that come together so i i i mean i'm not losing sleep over robert e lee being removed <laughs> you know as a confederate <laughs> right. but i i also know that um i would have preferred to see more of an erection of other types of statues you know right. 
that right. that populated the parks and and our public our public sphere because like for example i think even in new york city i think um was it in city hall or somewhere there was some some debate where they wanted to remove thomas jefferson because he was a slaveholder for example right. And right. I, I, I'm like, you know, once you start removing Thomas Jefferson, as problematic as he is, <laughs> right. uh, then you start removing um, all the other stories that are uh, that are told about him. Because you remove right. Thomas Jefferson, then that removes our ability to talk about Sally Hemings and her children. Right. Uh, right. You know, it's like it, we, we start we start chipping away. Like, no, we can't we can't recognize our founding fathers. It's like, mm, yeah, they 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 they're complicated. You know, let's let's have a nuanced history. That yeah, right. you can still have your statues to Thomas Jefferson because he did write the um, Declaration of Independence and it was influential, uh, right. and it was integral to the founding of an idea about what this country is. But it's like. Don't remove his statue. Add Sally Hemings' statue. <laughs> right, right. You know that's what I'm thinking. Right. You don't just remove all of that, and then it's like, okay, we don't need to think about slavery. We don't need to think of no. We need to. We right. need to be upfront and 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 honest with um with that history. Yeah. And in a way, you know, as much as I agree with everyone that we need to remove Andrew Jackson, I'm not as perturbed if he he remains on the back of the of the currency. Yeah. While Harriet is on the front, because it's like, well, get thee behind right. me. And also, I really think Andrew Jackson and Harriet Tubman, they are flip sides of this history. I mean, they are, they are. Yep. Yep. You know, there is the the heroic liberation story that Harriet Tubman represents, and then there's all of that oppression that that Andrew Jackson represents. Right. You know, well, but, you know the, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm gonna say, you know, picking up what you're saying, the thing I find uh, rewarding, uh, mm -hmm. maybe this is our scholar's hat, is that uh, these uh, changes open up discussions. Yes. So whether people agree or disagree, you mm -hmm. have to be part of the discussion. Yeah. And can't kind of blissfully sort of ignore, you know, that there's a history uh, that that has to be uh, confronted somehow. Mm -hmm. And that the only way you kind of get past it is through uh, this confrontation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it really depends a lot on the process. So in Washington, D.C., the uh, mayor uh, started a process where they went through uh, and reviewed every street name, school name, building name in the city uh, to uh, and came up with categories of whether they were human rights violators, enslavers, Confederates, and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, of course, hundreds of names. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they boil down to, you know, which ones should we change, which ones should remain, which ones should be adjusted in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought it was a really sort of thoughtful and reflective process as mm -hmm. opposed to just reactive. Mm -hmm. And so um, my son's high school was uh, uh, named after uh, Woodrow Wilson. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, of course, Woodrow Wilson was, you know, awful on issues of race. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah, we got to change the name on that one. Uh, mm -hmm. But they left others like there's some stuff to Jefferson, to Lincoln. Yeah. You know, I live on Madison Street, you know, so they, you know, they weren't changing everything. 
No, uh, no. (laughs) And yes, I know, because somebody wanted to cancel Lincoln, too. It's like he's problematic, but he he did. He did issue the Emancipation Proclamation. Let's not let's not throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater. Yeah, Lincoln transformed, you know, he he went from A to to somewhere else. And And that's what I mean about, you know, we need nuance, because if we're going to be like, oh, we can't have this because these people were horrible back then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying. Next thing you know, we'll be like, we can't honor Martin Luther King because he was a womanizer. I mean, come on. Right, 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 right. We don't even know if there's a Me Too story in there. So anyway, I'm just saying. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Right, so right. it's like we need to be careful with that because you know we're we're going for um I don't want to say perfectionism, but we we are we are moving in that direction of you have to be you know uh absolutely you know unblemished and and right right people are just right. not like that uh right. it's it's just history is just a lot more complicated than that right mm-hmm. well it's challenging times because then on the other side you look at you know florida and places and places and you know, all these bills they pass around the country at these school boards. Yeah. Uh, with more to come. You know, there yeah. is, you know, we will have a generation where yeah. somehow they will talk about slavery and not racism. If they talk yeah. about slavery at all. Well, and, that, and that's the issue too, because I mean, that, 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 that pushing for critical race theory, which came in response to 1619 Project, it came right. in response to Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Right. Um, uh, it, it, it was a pushback uh, to the kind of racial justice right. that we were seeking. I mean, so this, to me, that's a tit for tat in a way, because, right. you know, we were pushing towards let's be open, let's be honest, let's be conscious, and let's raise awareness around the ways in which um, our history is mired in, in 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 this oppression as much as we like to tout its democracy and freedom. Right. Uh, but then the flip side of that is like then we can't talk about any of it because that 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 backlash is all about you know all the folks who wanted to you know let's topple the statues. So it's one right. thing to say topple the statues of the confederates because they were they they were they were committing treason let's be real you know but i'm just like do we have to also topple the statues of the ones we call the founding fathers too i think that's where you know people are like wait a minute so that that believe it or not on the other side the other political side they see that as extreme as folks saying we can't talk about slavery and i those are the this is why I'm like I like nuance and I like balance and I I never saw for example with the 1619 project I saw that as an invitation really to to rethink um um what is the significance of slavery to this country um people immediately turned it into this political um peace and i suppose it is because it is advocating that we place slavery at the center of of the origin story of of america uh lots of people are uncomfortable with that and so it pushed the right kinds of envelopes because we do need to have those conversations uh but at the same time i i also know that there were many historians who felt that uh, it did not really represent the full history, the full truth. And that also needs to be addressed as well. 
But uh, so me, you know, the history, uh, the anti-history mm -hmm. uh, is so uh, pervasive and growing mm -hmm. uh, because most folks uh, not only never heard of critical race theory, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Most yeah. folks never heard of 1619. Yeah, that's well, true. You know, however you interpret it, you know, people had not even heard of, you know, it was just not in, you know, it's not taught. Uh, yeah. You know, I teach at HBCU and I have, you know, black students and mm -hmm. most of them had not heard of 1619 until, mm -hmm. you know, it really became more controversial. Yeah. So, you know, it's this sort of absence of history because uh, there can be conservative views of history and progressive views of history, but mm -hmm. the no history at all crowd yeah. is really what's trying to, you know, what's really kind of out there. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, to me, it's a really dangerous moment because it's very much tied to what I think is the authoritarian move, mm -hmm. which only can occur or occurs when people are ignorant. Yes. And you whip people up around, you know, some fantasized uh, theories and uh, uh, concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that, you know, allows for creating all kinds of policy, undemocratic policies uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and laws, which is where a significant part of uh, the country is at right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and how widespread do you think that is? I know that we see that in, 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 in some of the more conservative states, but I also wonder, you know, has there been enough progress where you're seeing that we're having more conversations about race? Because, I mean, this is just, again, if you know your history, <laughs> right. uh, I mean, this this is typical of, of how we've been behaving. It's always been progress, then backlash, progress and backlash, progress and backlash. Right. That's what we're dealing with. There was some prog progress that was made from the 1619 Project to Black Lives Matter over George Floyd, uh, and 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 you know people reading books about anti-racism and that sort of thing. Uh, even with the success of you know movies like uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, you know. Right shows that um, as a culture, we are opening up to, to more diverse um, narratives and more diverse people. Uh, but then of course, with that comes this backlash of wanting to reassert white supremacy, to be right. against this kind of diversity and pluralism that, um, that unseats um, the power of, of white privilege and white power. So I, I think there is, um, uh, a majority in the country for uh, democracy mm -hmm. and for you know some notions of inclusion, mm -hmm. there is a significant organized minority mm -hmm. uh, that is on the move. Yes, and it has resources mm -hmm. that include uh, billionaire donors, mm -hmm. conservative media, yes, uh, elected officials. Mm -hmm. And significantly now, mm -hmm. uh, many in the judiciary, including uh, the Supreme Court. Yes, yes. And so, and then that's where we have uh, limited capacity to mm -hmm. uh, have a checks and balance. Mm -hmm. And with the six-three majority, mm -hmm. 
it is pretty clear they're going to take advantage of this moment. Yes. Uh, and it will not just stop with Dobbs. Mm-hmm. But they're going to go after, as you point out, many of these games that were made yes. from the New Deal to the Great Society mm-hmm. that they've been pushing back or trying to, re, uh, to, to get rid of uh, for decades now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my biggest concern because I think that the sentiment in the country is mm-hmm. not towards that, mm-hmm. but a smaller organized minority mm-hmm. can go pretty far if it's a disorganized majority. Mm-hmm. And we are not, uh, and I think the uh, Democratic Party is a little late to the game yes. on this rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, authoritarianism and that the Republican Party is not uh, 2022 is not the Republican Party even of Reagan mm-hmm. uh, in that you know these extremists have really uh, are at the core uh, at every level not just in Congress where a lot of attention is is given uh, but in the states mm-hmm. where you look at Texas, you look at Florida, you look at Mississippi, you look at Utah, you know, state after state where these guys have gotten uh, disproportionate power, uh, they have used it in undemocratic ways uh, going after basically working people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working people of all races. Uh, and so that's why I'm really uh, concerned that the response hasn't been as robust Mm-hmm. Uh, as it as it needs to be, because uh, these folks are not going away. No, they're not going away, and that's why history is important, and why they want to control history. <laughs> because right. yeah, because um, you know, as Gerda Lerner, a uh, feminist historian, once said, you know, history to those um, in power, history has always mattered, <laughs> because you know, history can reinforce your power or not. Um, and it's like, if you can, if you can control the narrative that you've always been in power and that your people were always in power, that your culture is the only one that matters, then that just reinforces the power that you have now versus those who can contest that and say, no, um, I'm actually thinking when you're talking about what we're dealing with and it's like, yeah, who, who from the past can we learn from? And I immediately went to, um, the women of the National Association of, 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 of Colored Women, mm-hmm. featuring Mary Church Terrell, Ida B. Wells Barnett, that particular cohort. Uh, Harry Tubman was at the founding convention of that too. So she's like an elder to this group uh, as they're dealing with these, these um, issues. Because it's like, if we can put ourselves into their footsteps, into their minds, it's like that that was the generation that saw uh, the emancipation. <laughs> they mm-hmm. saw uh, the end of slavery and they were part of that movement to get educated, to rise up and to, 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 to be free Black people. And that generation went from the the jubilee of 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 freedom to um the institutionalization of jim crow in 1896 yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they already saw how how you can have 
these hard-won rights stripped away from you. So I think it would behoove us to, to know that particular history and to go back to that particular moment of the Anna Julia Coopers and the Ida B. Wells and the W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, because they were dealing with that. They were dealing with, you know, we were up from slavery and now we got the setback and what do we do to keep moving? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I know you teach it as well. Yes. Uh, these, um, these are really eye-opening for, uh, I know my students, I'm sure your students as well, because mm -hmm. uh, they're not getting it uh, at an earlier level. No, uh, no, they're always telling me like, this is the first time hearing this and right. this is the first time hearing that. Right. Even something like the date 1619, my students didn't right. even know that slavery took place before that date. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yep, there's a lot more to learn. So, um, which is interesting because you know, once they realize that, wow, I didn't know all this stuff, and then they get angry that they didn't learn yeah. this earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. was I duped? It's yeah. like, oh, you were only getting, you know, just a half bit, you know, of, of information. Yeah, uh, they get this kind of hero history. Yes. That, you know, they're individuals who all along sort of saved the world or were doing yeah. this or whatever. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, I teach reconstruction because, yes. you know, I, at one point I'm I remember one class I uh, talked about Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Virtually ninety percent of the class had never heard of the term. Yeah, you know, they, it's just, they were like, "We don't know what that is." Yeah, and I was like, "So you know what? This is not your fault, right?" Yes, exactly, you know, exactly. This is not your fault. This is you know how we don't educate. So exactly. we're going to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I I always say, you know, well, now you're going to learn. <laughs> right. Now you're here to to learn. And speaking of hero history, I think that was what was so useful in doing the, the Harriet Tubman Bicentennial Project this year, because there really is just this very flat narrative about who Harriet Tubman was, you know, she, right. she freed the slaves and that's about all, all folks right. know. I didn't right. realize that she lived to be 91 years old, <laughs> you know, that she not only, you know, went back, you know, 13 times to free 70 folk, but she was also freeing people and during the Civil War, she was, you know, opening up a home for aged people. I mean, she was right. pretty busy doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, just so multi multifaceted. Yeah, that's that's the main thing I hope coming out of out of my book is that people start to see her in you know her entire life. Yeah. Uh, and and then again, you know where she came from to you know where she ended is just such a remarkable story. Yeah. Uh, and that you know I write about uh, you know she had this disability, you know mm -hmm. because she was she was injured when she was doing uh, doing slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, so she did all of this. You know, in you know, she was having seizures and you know all kinds of problems. I know. Uh, My students are always amazed by that when it's like they didn't realize she was disabled. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, you know, so I, I me, mean, I really enjoyed working on this because mm -hmm. uh, it really uh, made me read Harriet Tubman in ways that I just kind of skimmed over, like probably most people had. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I'm the better for it. You know, mm -hmm. I absolutely love, love finding out, uh, you know, her life uh, kind of throughout, you know, and I just sort of devoured all these books about her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm hoping to embark on a larger project now that I've done this 
the bicentennial project. I, 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 you know, everyone is like, it's time for you to do the biography. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that because that was it was a, it was a very very wonderful array of, of of voices and perspectives. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for your book. I think, uh, like as I said, I like the way you were able to put that whole debate into this larger perspective and this historical and contemporary context. Really important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both um, so much. Join us. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, that what a lovely chat. That was phenomenal. Um, I'm so glad I got to be here to hear it first. Uh, as always, uh, mm. it was such a wonderful chat. And um, I would just recommend to all listeners, uh, twenty dollars and change uh, by Clarence. Uh, mm. Dr. Lusane will be available at the Skylight Books. It's going to be in our main location at 1818 Vermont. So stop by and grab it whenever you can get the chance. And uh, thank you both again so much for joining us. That was lovely. And hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and holidays. Oh, thank same you. you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. <laughs> nice meeting well, you. Have Clarence. a great day. Right. Nice, <laughs> wonderful meeting you, Janelle. Yeah, take care. All right. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.